This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. You're listening to Knowledge at Wharton on Business Radio, Sirius XM 111. Here again is Dan Loney. Welcome back. Hour number two of Knowledge at Wharton here on Sirius XM 111. Business Radio powered by the Wharton School. Thanks for spending part of your day with us. Several days ago, the U.S. Treasury Department released a list of prominent Russians that are said to have connections to either the Kremlin and its president, Vladimir Putin. It is a measure required under law by the Countering America's Adver- Adversaries through Sanctions Act. The idea behind the list was to implement sanctions against some of these individuals. The list includes a variety of top government officials and almost 100 oligarchs with a net worth of $1 billion or more. To discuss what this list is intended to do, we are in studio with Philip Nichols, Associate Professor of Legal Studies and Business Ethics here. Excuse me. I apologize, Phil. Sorry. I apologize. I knew I was going to do that. And we'll get that correct. In just a second. And Mitchell Orenstein is professor and chair of Russian and Eastern European Studies at the University of Pennsylvania. Gentlemen, thank you very much for coming in today. Thanks Always for inviting a pleasure, us. Dan. Thank you. Uh, your thoughts on this list? Well, I, I'll let Mitchell speak in a second. The, you know, the initial thought that almost everyone has is that the list is, is utterly simplistic and not at all directed toward the actual actions in Russia that the sanctions are meant to either discourage or prevent. Yeah, I mean, in essence, the sanctions were put on Russia uh, to because of its invasion of Crimea, essentially in 2014. And they were meant to deter uh, Russian uh, uh, government policymakers from making such similar decisions in the future by uh, punishing them and essentially putting individual sanctions for many uh, Russians on their ability to access, uh, to do business in the West, uh, to travel to the West. And this is really important because a lot of Russian uh, business people and government officials are really worried about um, whether they can keep their assets in Russia. And they send their kids to school in the West, and they have big houses in the West, and they like to keep assets in the West because they're worried about the security of their property rights in Russia. So I've seen some uh, some of the articles written about this also talk about uh, what Russia has done uh, in and around the Ukraine as well. How much of that plays in to bringing a list like this forward? Right. And, you know, in Ukraine, um, when Russia invaded Ukraine, um, there were an additional set of sanctions that were put on yeah. Russia. And uh, those included sectoral sanctions like right. on banking. Uh, so you couldn't have banking transactions with Russian banks, uh, sanctioned banks, and on uh, gas and oil industry and also military. Now, both sets of sanctions went through as executive orders, yeah. essentially, by the Obama administration. When Trump came to town, Everybody in Congress was very worried. And this is interesting because it's both Democrats and Republicans. This this CATSA Act um, was supported by, I think, 98 to 2 in the Senate. Okay? Yeah. Right. And Democrats and Republicans looked at what uh, Donald Trump had been saying and doing vis-a-vis Russia and said, we're very concerned that this guy is planning to get rid of sanctions uh, for some you know, unclear reasons yeah. that are now being investigated. And to prevent him from doing that, they basically put into law all the sanctions that Obama had, Obama had imposed and said, you cannot withdraw these without an act of Congress. Okay, That was a huge, in itself, like upping of the ante. Yeah. 
And as part of that law, they also said that um, they mandated this report uh, that's going to come out. They mandated some strengthening of the sanctions regime, and they mandated the Trump administration to uh, give further detail and to sanction further individuals yeah. who might have been involved in this. And so uh, this report was meant to be a, a deepening and a detailing of you know kind of who they're looking at. Yeah. Um, and they, in fact, did ask a couple of uh, experts to put together that list. And that, uh, I believe, included Anders Osland yes, and Dan Freed. Yeah. Uh, Dan Freed, who was a st- former State Department official, former ambassador to Poland, who had been in charge of uh, maintaining sanctions on Russia. And apparently they put together a list, and the Trump administration at the last moment said, ah, we don't like this list. Yeah, right. <laughs> chucked yeah. it out, chucked it in the trash, or they, they, they left it as a sort of confidential, concealed piece of, of this that we don't see publicly. And publicly came out with basically a photocopy of the Forbes 500 list of rich Russians, which and, seemed to a lot of people to be kind of a goofy maneuver, as Phil yeah. was describing a moment and ago. And the Kremlin directory of... You know who's an assistant to President Putin. Mm-hmm. It's a very, but but Mitchell brings up a really good point that's lost in a lot of the amusement over this list. Yeah, and that is that there is an unclass. Uh, there the list we see is the unclassified list. There is a classified memo that accompanies this that that may have more thought in it, and and um, which would include what in your mind? Well, so. <clears throat> There's the existing sanctions, the three rounds of sanctions that yeah. were imposed after um, Crimea and after Ukraine. And then there's the um, the ongoing investigation into you know the entirely probable Russian uh, interference in the U.S. democratic process. Right. And, and it's possible that the classified document – does a better job of targeting be, because, as Mitchell pointed out, the the initial group they brought together to create this list did have meaningful and thoughtful criteria. Well, if there if there is a a more targeted view in a in a secondary memo in a uh, uh, you know in a private memo, what is the what is then the approach of the U.S. government specifically on something like that, Mitchell? Well, I think this the the people speculate about why this particular list was put out, you know, and yeah. it looks to a lot of people, and this gets to the core of your question, right? It looks to a lot of people like Trump administration is thumbing its nose at right. the sanctions legislation. <clears throat> right. Remember that Trump did not support the sanctions legislation. As I mentioned, it was there explicitly to control him. (laughs) Yeah. Right. So he, of course, doesn't like this law, right? Plus, it ensures Obama's legacy, which is another thing he hates. Yeah. Yeah. So he's looking at this and saying, eh, I don't really want to do it. So I'm instead of actually uh, falling through the spirit of the law, which is to target individuals who are actually involved in things, he says, well, let's just throw the Forbes 500 list, you know, or, you know, of, of rich Russians at it. It's a formally it fulfills the criteria of the law. So we're not going to get, you know, put pulled into court about this. But it also sends a very strong message that we are not serious about sanctions. Right. We are not serious. We're not going to. Uh, impose people the russian oligarchs and others who were very worried and officials who were worried about are they going to end up on the sanctions list or now uh, list are now laughing and thinking that we're ridiculous and you know it's just another instance of i think trump having his own individual foreign policy i would i would um i would uh mildly and respectfully always uh disagree just a little bit with that they're laughing at it um from what from what I hear from you know my friends in Russia, 
they're they're concerned that um, being on this list, even though it's ba- it is it is literally the Forbes, you know, anyone over a billion and is on the list, anyone under a billion is off the list. It 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 makes banks a little more hesitant to extend credit or to enter into to, um, transactions that expose the bank. It, in a way, banks are treating these people now as politically exposed persons. So there. That's not a laughable matter to a lot of these people who do, you know, who are engaged in any number of transactions with Western banks, which is already difficult after the third round of sanctions. Right. It's it, what I meant is it's not laughable to people who mistakenly got put on the list. Obviously, but who it's laughable is to the people who should have been put on the yeah, list and weren't true. put on the right. list. Right. Yeah. Fact, and, and that includes yeah. Putin himself, right? Who 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 decided that he would not respond um, to this list? They had been um, trying to gear up some counter responses. Right. And they looked at it and they were like, "Huh, you know, this is not really anything," you know. Your comments are welcome at 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. We're joined in studio by Mitchell Ornstein, who is a professor and chair of Russian and uh, East European Studies here at the University of Pennsylvania, and also by uh, Philip Nichols, professor of social responsibility and business and professor of legal studies in business here at the Wharton School. Uh, so then what is your expectation with this? Because there have been already comments uh, by Treasury Secretary Mnuchin that there will be sanctions that will come out of this. But seemingly it doesn't feel like that there's a whole lot of belief that whatever sanctions might come out of it are, are going to have a whole lot of teeth to them. Well, I think I think there already is a sanction machine. Actually, today, uh, just before I came in, I saw in the news that um, that the administration did add additional okay. sanctions on Hezbollah. Okay. So this law uh, applied to Iran, it applied to North Korea, and it applied to Russia. And, okay. And Russia is the bigger part of it. So I, I don't know what, about Mnuchin's comments. You know, if that means that you know he may have been referring to the sanctions about Hezbollah, yeah, <laughs> rather than the sanctions on Russia. Um, I, I think that he has to, by law, uphold this law, right? I mean, and so they're in a bit of a bind where they, they have to formally uphold this law and they can't be seen to not do that. At the same time, it's pretty clear to me and to a lot of people that Trump is trying to send a really strong signal to his handlers in Moscow hmm. that he is not going to, you know, do anything that would, uh, you know, um, bias or, you know, so, somehow undermine their previous agreements, whatever they are. Right. Well, there is a there is a legitimate question as to whether or not or in what way President Trump must comply with this law. The Constitution allocates uh, foreign relations to the president, and you know, and Congress, through the budget, obviously can manipulate that. But ultimately, the Supreme Court has almost always decided, you know, to be generous in thinking about what the president's powers are and what right. is excluded to the president. So, you know, ultimately, President Trump could uh, not live up to the spirit and, and, and probably even the letter of this law. And there is not much Congress could do to force him to do so. Um, some of the things that have been suggested, like slowing down the appointment of, of judges, which is a traditional way that Congress punishes a president that they're not – they feel isn't in compliance, that's not going to happen. That, that They're so on board with that process right now, having delayed it for the last eight years. So you know, if, if President Trump decides not to 
go ahead with the Russian part of the bill, it's it's hard to see what could force him to do so other than political pressure. And that's to me, that's a really interesting question. If President Trump so clearly ignores clear Russian manipulation of the democratic process in the United States, yeah. how does the electorate react to that? And hopefully it would react in a strongly negative way. I'm not sure sanctions gets at that particular problem. It would have to be very carefully designed to do so. But there have already been comments of the upcoming midterm elections of not if Russia's elements, whoever they are, are, are going to interfere in the midterm elections. It's when and how much and by how much right. that, I mean, that, that that impact is going to occur. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, the Russians have been, uh, in the meanwhile, I mean, it's not just the U.S. where the Russia Russia targets. Oh, no. right? Sure, yeah. yeah. So Russia has yeah. um, recently been very involved in the Czech presidential election. Um, they showed yeah. no signs of backing off. They went really uh, to, to the fore to sort of support their candidate who became president, uh, Milos Zeman. Yeah. And so every evidence suggests that this whole operation of, of Russians to influence democratic elections throughout Europe and uh, and North America, at the very least, is um, is you know alive and well, right? And there's no question that they're going to come back, right, in in some form uh, to the United States, and that's why it's like really important. I would say, in terms of the compliance, you know, and Mnuchin in particular, so the this law was written um, to constrain specifically to constrain the the president in his conduct of foreign policy. Yeah. And that has happened to some extent in the past. There there have been sanctions laws that have been passed by Congress, including yeah. Jackson Vanek. Yeah. And in this particular law, because foreseeing that the president was not enthusiastic about this, they, they actually included a number of provisions that specifically require specific agencies of the U.S. government, including Treasury, um, to produce this list and to do a whole variety of things, to strengthen this, strengthen that, do this and that. So they're pretty explicit in a number of areas. So I think that they do have grounds, um, for instance, if Mnuchin were to explicitly not do something, um, to right. bring him in for hearings, right. um, to yeah. bring you know various enforcement actions against different agencies of the U.S. Which was Which was part of what was circulating in the media in the last 24 hours or so of whether or not uh, the U.S. government would actually do that. And I think mm-hmm. there was a part of Capitol Hill mm-hmm. that was very concerned that that wouldn't you know, happen and, and come forward. That may still be the case, but as you mentioned with the Hezbollah, it may very well not be the case anymore. They may That may have uh, kind of sufficed an, an element to that. Yeah. Sure. Well, well, I think Easy it, target. <laughs> well, I think yeah. it's like, look, I mean, the, the, the Russia element is the part that really bothered Trump. Sure, yeah. Right. Yeah. So I think there's going to be a special examination on that. Um, and, and that's why Mnuchin, at the end of the day, had to issue a list. I mean, it was mandated that he yeah. come up with a list within 180 <laughs> days. He did it on the last day, which is, again, a kind of signal. Yeah. And, um, and he did it in a completely ridiculous way, right, which nobody respects. But took that was ma- also took the magazine off his coffee table and <laughs> yeah, but exactly. But you know, but he did yeah. it. You know, so yeah. he's following at least the letter of the law. And if he didn't, you know, presumably he thinks that there would be consequences. So then, can we can we link any of of, of this regarding the list? And it may not necessarily be direct, but Mike Pompeo, the CIA director, had conversations with basically his counterpart within the last week or two weeks or so. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Can you put any, any – are there connecting of dots in here? Uh, well, uh, probably, but not – that's probably not why they talked. Okay. I mean, one would hope 
that they talk yeah. and talk frequently. Um, you know, Because the conversation was supposedly around terrorism. Sure. And, yeah. and that's a great thing for them to talk about. Yeah. I mean, the talks between the Soviet Union, you know, back-channel talks, I mean, there's a time-honored tradition of these talks. And they've proven to be very useful and helpful, particularly in very tense situations. So I, I'm a little worried about the kind of focus on the fact that they talked and the, the implication and, and inference that there's something untoward right. about this. Um, there may have been and they may have brought up the sanctions – and, you know, the, the relationship between the Trump administration and the Putin administration is a very curious thing. But, but we, shouldn't, we shouldn't condemn these talks per se. We should actually be grateful that they're occurring and encourage that kind of dialogue between these two very powerful countries. Right. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think a dialogue, you know, certainly uh, you don't want to get to a point where you've eliminated all possibility of dialogue between, you know, these kind of effectively warring parties right, yeah. at this point, you know. And uh, that's true. The, the, what was unusual about these meetings is that they happened on the territory of the United States, yeah. um, where yeah. you had three of the top leaders of intelligence, three different intelligence services come to the U.S. Um, around the same time, around the time of this list. Um, you know, and one of these guys was actually on our sanctions list who formerly should not have been uh, allowed to come into the United States. Um, so I think, you know, it's hard to hard to know because we don't know much about these meetings. And it's hard for me to sit here and say for sure what they meant or what they discussed or right. anything like that. You know, but it's certainly possible that um, the Trump administration was trying to send another strong message to Moscow that uh, we don't care about the sanctions regime and we want to continue dialogue. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, which which again, um, but how, how do you how do you do not that? Not a bad message. Though. It's it's a pretty good message I mean, if you can. Well, I don't know. I mean, I think that um, considering that again, you have these sanctions legislation in place. Right? right. It's not the policy of the United States. Right. It's not it's not the policy yeah. of the United States to break sanctions. But, it's not the policy of the United States to uh, bring individuals on the sanctions list to the United States. So yeah. I would ima- I would hope that there's some extraordinary circumstance, uh, you know, that would require that. Uh, I can't imagine exactly what that would be. Um, and, um, you know, I think it was, again, another signal that the Trump – Trump himself has a different foreign policy than the U.S. government. What do you think, then, is the reaction in Europe to this? Because, hmm. obviously, Europe and Russia have – had very tense times in the last couple of years, yet the U.S. and Russia, or I'm sorry, U.S. and Europe, and the leaders there have had some tense times within the last few months. So how, how do you think they react to, to some of this stuff going on with, with the list coming out and, and the conversations with the CIA director? And obviously you still have the, you know, the oversight of, of the Mueller investigation going on as well. Well, I, th- I think for the Europeans, um, there's a, a different set of issues, right? Um, it's related but different, where the Europeans were unhappy with this law as well because they saw that um, it was going to reduce the possibility of coordination between European leaders and U.S. leaders, right? right? Because once it's legislated, it's sort of stuck in. It's like written in stone. There were provisions they didn't love, like controlling some oil and gas uh, um, sort of investment, North Stream 2. And um, so because it's written in stone and not negotiable between governments, it means that coordination becomes less easy, essentially. So, for instance, the Europeans appear not to have been 
consulted on the construction of this list. Yeah. Right. Yeah. With Mnuchin doing yeah. it at the last yeah. minute, you know, um, it sort of precluded that. So I think for Europeans, we have a we have with regard to the Crimea and the uh, Ukraine sanctions regime. We have a corresponding regime in the European Union. It's been negotiated together. It's not exactly the same. There's some uh-huh. a little bit of differences, but primarily it's uh, pretty similar. And so I think also what this signals to the European partners is that um, you know we're no longer exactly coordinating that regime. And so it's another step of Trump to sort of undermine the broader regime, and it's not appreciated, I suspect. Phil, and and to add to that, the Europeans it, there's the EU regime, and then there's a multitude of individual European countries that have imposed sanctions. Um, But in spite of that, the Europeans have been less enthusiastic about the sanctions than the the United States has been. And so, I mean, in general, there are certain countries that are very enthusiastic about them. That coordinating all of that has been extremely difficult. The United States had a leadership role which it no longer has. It's it's, it's abdicated, and um, it will be very interesting to see if the coordination of all of these regimes can continue. But, but real, go ahead. I, I I have to disagree there. I mean, I think if you look at with Trump as president right now, I don't see how you can say that the Europeans are less committed to you know oh. the sanctions than we are. No, no fair, fair point. <laughs> I mean, I, I think I, I, I think right. that fair the, point. actually actually I, I meant you know there's been the, 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 the issue with Europe is that they are much more affected by the sanctions than we are. Right. Yeah. Our trading relationship with Russia is practically nil. It's it's so minuscule. It's not even worth talking about. You know. And with 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 Europe, um, they're the biggest trading partner. Any yeah. European country has a bigger trading relationship. Any significant European country has a bigger trading relationship than the United States does, despite its size, right? Yeah. And so, um, you know, they they're very deeply affected, and so it costs them. You know, this is a, a policy that they pay up on. You know, every day and. Um, so yes, it's been more controversial, but actually, it's Europe has been surprisingly unified on the sanctions, and this point is more unified probably than the United States is. So what what no, is what yeah, is that really? Go ahead, Phil. No, I, I I want to agree with you. I was speaking about previous when the sanctions were initially imposed. Um, no, that, there's no question that that Europe is more committed now than the United States, which underlines your. Point. So the relationship between the U.S. and and Russia as a trade partner is what on wheat? On what you know? What elements are there right now? If you think about um, products, like if you if you were to open your your closet and look in it and see like you know what think about like what here is from China? Okay, right. You uh, would yeah. you would have a long list, right? Right. Yeah. <laughs> if you look at that your closet and you open it up and you say, what do I have here from Russia? The answer is like practically nothing. Yeah. I mean, the 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 only thing I am aware of that I regularly might you know buy from Russia is I sometimes go to Luke Oil. Right. You know. Yeah. And so um, they maybe in the tech sphere, there's certain uh, we have some outsourcing relationships yeah. uh, with Russia. Um, there's you know, some pharma manufacturing. Yeah, I mean, but it's really minuscule. I yeah. mean, like I can I can name you know dozens of countries with whom we have greater trading relationships. But oh, yeah. but this list, I mean, in terms of, of actual impact right now, there really isn't any major impact from from this list. I mean, all of the as you kind of both have alluded to. The, the list of the oligarchs that are on this list, the, the list of, of people that are linked to the Russian government, there's not going to be an immediate, you know, hey, in the next you know week, 
you're not going to be able to do X trading in in the United States. Well, let me just just explain a bit about no. the law. So in in the law, there's a bunch of things that the U.S. has to do to improve to strengthen sanctions. Right. And then there's a bunch of reporting requirements. And this list comes under the reporting requirements. Right. right? right. So they have to issue a report. Um, you know, to sort of show that they're thinking about it, just and the paperwork, to, yeah, and to sort of signal that you know the, what's coming down the pike, so yeah. nobody's surprised, maybe. Yeah. Um, so the thing is that the reports are, in theory, supposed to come into um, action because, additionally, the Trump administration and any U.S. administration at this point is mandated to increase um, the level of the sanctions by adding additional individuals to the list of sanctioned individuals and firms. Right. And so, th- presumably, had you done a good report, some of those people would have ended up shortly thereafter, you know, on the list of additional people who are being added right. uh, to the already sanctioned list of some 500 or so people who are on that list. Right. But again, again, we don't know what's on the classified part of the document. Right. That, that may be there. Mm-hmm. Um, but, and, and again, Arguably, under constitutional law, the president could exercise his um, his uh, primacy in foreign relations and waive portions of this law. So it's all very – the control that Congress has over him to force him ultimately to do this. I mean, you know, Jackson Vanek um, – there was always the potential that it could be waived, and it was waived on occasion in particular countries. Uh, so, it's a it's a mushy, mushy area, and the what happened, you know, a few days ago, adds zero clarity to what may be coming down the pike. Although I tend to agree with Mitchell that all the signals seem to be nothing. Yeah. Great having you both here. Thank you very much for coming in. Okay, thanks Thank a lot. Thank you. Mitchell Ornstein from the University of Pennsylvania, Philip Nichols from here at the Wharton School. For more insight from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.